Good morning. Uh, let's dive into God's word together today, shall we? The, uh, the devil is a well-known and common figure in our culture. The word devil usually brings to mind someone who is dressed up in red with horns and a pitchfork. We've all seen this cartoon, perhaps it's somebody standing on the shoulder uh, of a person whispering temptation into their ear. Usually there's an angel on the other side trying to uh, fight these temptations with the person. Um, we see this caricature, the devil and his power and his wickedness are marginalized. He is a caricature. He's a, a bad Halloween costume. This is not an imposing figure. This is a joke. Often his existence is mocked. If you're old enough, you remember the 1980s Saturday Night Live church lady sketch. The punchline that always got the biggest laughs was when she would make reference to Satan. Surely the concept of a spiritual being named Satan is old and misguided for simpletons and fools. At least that's what the producers of the show would have you believe. Well, what does God's word say about the devil? Is he real? What does he do? What is he like? And how can we resist him? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what God's word has to say about spiritual warfare. We're going to be working our way through Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll start today by identifying our enemy, the devil. If you have your copy of God's word, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In this passage, we see that we are engaged in spiritual warfare, and our enemy is very real. He is powerful, and he is dangerous. We would be wise to listen to what God's word has to say. In the coming weeks, we will see what it means in verse 10 to be strong in the Lord. We will see what it means in verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God. But today we want to start by looking at what God has to say about our enemy, the devil, and how Christians are to relate to him. The first thing we see in our text is our need to stand against the enemy. Our need to stand against the enemy. Paul starts this passage on spiritual warfare by saying the word finally. He is summing up his whole letter uh, to the Ephesians with this final exhortation. He's bringing to climax uh, the letter in its entirety, and he focuses in on all the implications that he has been telling them so far. We are confronted here with the sobering spiritual reality. The reality is this. We are engaged in spiritual war against the enemy, and we are commanded to fight. We are commanded to resist the devil, and we are commanded by Paul to stand firm. What does he mean, and how exactly are we to do this? How are mere men and women expected to stand firm against one as powerful as the devil? As God's people, we must realize that we stand redeemed. We stand redeemed. All through the book of Ephesians, Paul has been explaining the wonderful riches that we have been given through the blood of Christ. He tells us in chapter 6 that we are to stand in light of the gospel, the gospel that he has laid out in the first five chapters. He is telling us to stand in light of our redemption. Previously, Paul has said that we were spiritually dead 
following the enemy and on our way to hell. In chapter 2, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. We were born sinful people, and we are all rebellious to the things of God. Aside from a supernatural work in our heart, we are all dead. We all justly deserve God's wrath. But by his grace, God has made us alive together in Christ. He says in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. If we have repented of our sin, if we have turned to Jesus in faith as our Savior, if we had trusted in the one who absorbed God's wrath in our place when he was crucified, then we are redeemed. We are brought into a right standing with an infinitely perfect and holy God. We know we cannot work for it by being a good enough person or earn it in any way, as we will see later in verse 9, but we have been graciously and mercifully saved from the wrath to come because God has forgiven us and God has redeemed us through his Son. We have redemption in his blood and the forgiveness of sin according to his grace, Ephesians 1.7. He has brought us near to himself and we are adopted as heirs through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.5. We can only stand up to the devil because we stand already redeemed in Christ. Left unto ourselves, we do not have a chance to stand firm. We will be deceived. We will fall. We will stand before God when we die in righteous judgment. But God has already conquered this foe for us. He has won the victory over sin and death that we could not win for ourselves. God has, uh, is not telling a dead carcass to stand firm. That is not what is happening in this text. He is uh, not exhorting weak and feeble people to do better or to try harder. We know that dead things do not respond to anything. It would be senseless to command an animal on the side of the road that is dead to stand firm, to obey a command. It's a fool's errand and it cannot happen. God is telling us here that because we are already now alive in Christ, therefore stand firm. God is saying, I have saved you. I have breathed life into your dead and rotting corpse, so stand firm. Stand and fight against the enemy. In this text, we are ordered to stand and we are told to resist and to fight, and this is only possible because now we are alive in Christ. Christian, let us stand firm, because we are already redeemed. As God's children, then whom do we stand against? In this passage, we see that we stand against the devil. We stand against the devil. Paul says in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand up against the schemes of the devil. When Paul instructs us to stand firm, it is not against sin in a generic sense or in a general way um, or to stand against our own rebellious tendencies, uh, but no, he instructs us to stand against the enemy, to stand against the devil himself. We are standing and fighting against Satan. Now, there's a real sense in which our 21st century minds do not feel the full weight of this statement. We may affirm Satan. We may say that, uh, yes, we know there is a spiritual warfare going on that we cannot see, uh, but do we realize what this means? Do we feel the full gravity of what we are up against and what we are told to do? The devil and his hosts are real. 
This is not a made-up fairy tale. And although uh, many of us would likely affirm this to be true, do we really live like we believe it? Or do we live in a way that has a functional disbelief? Are we praying like we believe it? Or do we pray flippantly, asking God to help us through our day in a generic way? Do we ask the Lord for strength to do battle against the temptations and the lies of the devil as if our soul depends on it? Or do we trust in ourselves? Do we realize that every second of every day there's an enemy out there who would love nothing more than to trip you up to bring disgrace to the God that you claim to know? I know uh, often I forget I don't ask God for the strength to stand up against the devil. I functionally rely on my own power. Intellectually, yes, I affirm that, uh, that there is someone there plotting and scheming and actively trying to trip me up, but I do not usually act as if I know this to be true. We know that Satan is powerful, and we know that left to our own devices, we are not. Therefore, we should be seeking to rely on the strength of the one that can help us in our fight. This is our adversary seeking to destroy us. The need to stand up against him is of eternal importance. Our very souls hang in the balance. He is the enemy of Christ, and he seeks to keep a lost humanity separated from their loving creator. He is powerful and mighty. Martin Luther was right when he described Satan in the first verse of A Mighty Fortress, saying his craft and his power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. This is whom we stand against, someone who on earth has no equal. So we've seen that we've been called to stand against him. We've seen uh, that we've been called to stand firm as redeemed people of God, and we are standing against the devil. In order to stand against him, we should understand who the devil is and how he operates. Uh, This leads us to the second thing that we see in the text this morning. We look to God's word to understand the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Paul warns us in verse 11 to stand against the schemes of the devil. And similarly, in 2 Corinthians, Paul exhorts his readers to forgive so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So what are his designs? What are his schemes? How do we recognize these schemes so we can stand firm? So we look to Scripture to show us the ways that the devil operates. Uh, The Bible outlines four major ways in which Satan seeks to bring us down. The first is this. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. When rebuking the Pharisees in John 8, Jesus says, When Satan lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's let that sink in for a minute. The devil is the father of lies. Satan is fundamentally a liar. That is the representation of his character. He deceives. He does not present himself as he truly is. Now, as Christians, we prize the truth, right? Uh, We boldly hold to the things of God because he has given us truth. The only way we know of our fallen condition, uh, of God's righteous demands, and of the redemption offered through Christ is through the word of God, the truth in the Bible. Jesus stands in direct opposition to Satan. He tells us in John 14:6 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The devil, by contrast, is the father of lies, and he has been from the beginning. We see this in Genesis 3. He brings lies to Eve, telling her that if she breaks God's clear command and eats of the fruit, she will not surely die. This is a bold-faced lie, and 
And how do we know this is a lie? Uh, we know it's a lie because it directly contradicts the word of God. God told Adam and Eve that the consequence of this action was death. And the devil manipulated and twisted God's words. He lied and deceives Eve. This still holds true for us today. The devil is a liar, and he's in the business of deceiving us. We are bombarded with lies and half-truths in our culture. This is Satan's way of desensitizing our minds and twisting our thinking. Sin is minimized and normalized. Let's think about this for a minute. Today, sex permeates our entertainment industry, twisting a good gift from God into something perverted and sinful. Uh, It makes light of the very thing Jesus died on the cross to save us from. Satan has warped our worldview, and we no longer see sin as we should. These are lies from the evil one. We see this in the get-rich-quick message of our casinos and our lotteries. As Christians, we know that God's word tells us to work hard and to spend wisely, but Satan has lied to us, telling us there's an easier way, and he preys on our greed and our laziness. We see his lies and twisted and bad theology. This can range from the lie that there is no hell to the prosperity gospel seeking to have our best life now to the generic, all God wants for you is to be a good and moral person and try hard. We see a warped worldview that is full of lies and blasphemy. This thinking surrounds us, it permeates our minds, and draws us into sin. It does not honor God. It is the scripture alone that should inform our thinking and our worldview, and it's his truth that we must hold fast to when faced with the lies. So we've seen the devil's a liar. The second thing we see in scripture is the devil is an accuser. The devil is an accuser. John writes in Revelation 12 of Satan, And I heard the loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God And the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. We see day and night before God, the devil is bringing accusations against the saints. He falsely brings these accusations, uh, questioning our right standing before our Creator. Now, are we sinful? Yes, of course. Do we deserve God's wrath? Yes, we would say every one of us deserves God's wrath without a doubt. Are we guilty? Yes. But God, in his mercy and grace, has granted us forgiveness through repentance and faith in the work of his son Jesus. He has declared us not guilty. We are justified before God, covered in Christ's righteousness, and seen as holy in his eyes. We need not be accused. We see this dramatically portrayed through the prophet Zechariah in chapter 3. It says, He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not the brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you. I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, 
let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. We see Satan accusing him uh, of, of the sin in his, in his life, and we see God, we see God put Christ's righteousness on him, saying, you are not guilty. I have taken this. You are clean. I have pulled you from the fire. I have pulled this brand from the fire. You are dirty, but I am cleaning you. I am putting uh, my righteousness on you. Satan cannot accuse us of doing wrong. He cannot bring charges against us, and he cannot set guilt before our eyes. As God's people, it is important to keep this in, in, in the forefront of your mind every day. We cling to the gospel. Without the gospel permeating our lives, we will be crushed by the weight of these accusations. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we are prone to forget. We are prone to wander. Without the gospel, thoughts of uh, these accusations, thoughts of inadequacy can drive us to despair. We give up when we fail. We stop fighting our sin because we see how weak and frail we are. Spiritual warfare is hard, and in our own power, we are useless. We must live in daily thankfulness and remembrance of this gospel so that when those accusations and thoughts of inadequacy enter our mind, we do not try and justify ourselves by our own works. We cannot achieve holiness, but we have someone who achieved it for us. We trust in him who has given us his righteousness. We have a savior who has redeemed us, and it is in his arms we rest. We do not listen to the accusations of the devil. The devil is a liar. The devil is an accuser. And the third thing that we see is the devil is a tempter. Satan tempts us. He entices us to sin. We see this in Matthew 4. You all know the story. Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by, sin, by Satan. The devil comes to him and tempts him in three specific ways. At each time, Jesus refuses the temptations of the devil. He resists the devil, exposing his lies with the word of God, and refuses to succumb to the offer and allure of sin. Likewise, the devil shows us the sinful pleasures of this world, the things that spark our interest, the activities uh, that he tries to get us to indulge in. Should he cause one of God's elect to stumble, to fall into sin, it has deadly consequences. We are no longer living according to God's good plan, and the effects are far-reaching. We invite catastrophe into our lives, addiction, abuse, severed relationships, broken homes, and death are all real consequences of sin that are brought about by uh, our indulging in it. Sin brings shame to us personally, and sin brings shame to us corporately as a church. How many famous televangelists uh, have we seen fall into adultery or into some greedy scheme? This disgraces the church, and worse, it makes Christ look bad to a watching world. This is Satan's goal, to take glory away from the Lord. His temptation for us could be a TV show or a magazine picture that leads our mind down the path of lust and sinful desire. It could be an office conversation. Uh, it could be an enticement to gossip. It could be as simple as getting cut off on the freeway uh, and a temptation to blurt out obscenities in a fit of anger. The devil is crafty, and often we fall into sin before we realize what is happening. As God's people, we must resist the devil and the temptation to sin. The author of Hebrews says of Christ, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ is our rock. He is the one we rely on in our time of need. 
because he was tempted and because he conquered the scheme of the devil, he is the one that can help us do likewise. In all these things, we see the devil attempting to take glory away from Christ. He lies, opposing the truth of Christ. He accuses, opposing the sacrifice and forgiveness of Christ. He tempts God's people to sin, opposing the love for Christ in our lives. And fourthly, he torments God's people, opposing the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. The devil is a tormentor. He seeks to cause us ruin and despair. He hates God, and he hates those who are aligned with God. He knows that often it is easy for us to praise God and bring him glory when the things are good. But when the things are hard, that is where he leads many to despair. If he can get our minds focused on ourselves and our present circumstances, Instead of the worship of our creator, he is one. We see him attempt this in the story of Job. Satan destroyed Job's home and his family and his possessions. And he did this all in order that Job may deny God to turn away and to cause God to look foolish. Job held firm. He didn't deny God and God blessed him for it. The devil delights in bringing ruin to our lives. Peter says that he is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan causes ruin. As Christians, we must recognize this scheme. We need to understand that in the good times and in the bad, God is a good God. He is conforming us to the image of his Son. We trust him, we cling to him, and we believe that his promises are true. Rather than turning from God and falling into sin, we must hold fast to Christ and the power we have in him in our time of despair. So we've seen who we are standing against, the devil, and we've seen the ways in which this devil schemes and operates against us. The last thing we see here in this text is we want to look closer at what it says about our battle against the enemy, our battle against the enemy. Again, Ephesians 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The first thing we need to recognize about our battle against the enemy is that we do not struggle against flesh and blood. We know this world has fallen. We see it all around us. We're surrounded by humanity that has been corrupted by sin. Even as the people of God, we ourselves were once this way. Paul reminds us earlier in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, when he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all fallen, sinful, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil. But we've been raised to life in Christ. We were given the good news, and this good news was brought to us by somebody outside of ourselves. Somebody else shared the gospel of Christ with us. They confronted us with our sin, with our estrangement from God. They told us what Jesus did in his life, in his death and his resurrection. They showed us through God's word that we too can be reconciled to God. 
this person, this preacher, this coworker, this family member, this friend, they were engaged in spiritual warfare of the highest order. This is what Paul means when he says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not seek to war and fight against fallen man. This is not a jihad. Like Christ who came to seek and save the lost, our focus as Christians should be to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who have not heard. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. We do not seek to start a fight against people. We pray that God removes the blindness from their eyes and that they are raised out of spiritual death to spiritual life. We love them. We share Christ with them. We plead for them to repent and trust in the Savior before it's too late. We do not hate them. We do not slander them. We do not use mean or hurtful terms to describe them. We do not seek to isolate ourselves from them. We were once in the exact same position that they're in now. It was only by God's grace we've been changed. It is not because we're somehow smarter or better than those who have not embraced the truth of the gospel. How can we, then, as forgiven sinners, do anything but love them and tell them about God's plan for forgiveness and reconciliation? I heard a prominent Southern Baptist pastor ask this question one time. Do your coworkers only know you're a Christian by how easily you're offended? Or do they know you're a Christian because you've clearly and earnestly shared Christ with them? Do they know you're a Christian because you love them? So how are we doing with that? Uh, do our divorced co-workers know that we find great offense with their divorce? Or do they know that we love them and want them to find the forgiveness and rest found only in the love of Christ? How about our homosexual friends? Or our friends who celebrate their drunkenness or their promiscuity? Yes, God's word says that it's all wrong. It's sinful activity. And yes, Christians, we pursue holiness and we don't partake in these practices. But God offers forgiveness in Christ. How do they know that you're a Christian? We don't battle against flesh and blood. We don't seek to make enemies of sinners. We don't go looking for a fight in person, on Facebook or Twitter or in any other way. We do stand firm in Christ. We do not fear man. We do fear God. We love people, and we present them with the gospel that we've been entrusted with. We've seen our spiritual warfare is not with flesh and blood. It is not with fallen humanity. But our struggle is against the devil and his hosts. This is the last thing we want to see. We struggle against the devil and his hosts. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We wrestle with the enemy, the devil, and the demonic forces in this world. This is not fiction. Satan and the demons he commands are actively seeking to destroy you. It says that they are here over this present darkness. They are hateful, evil, despicable beings. And we are told that we battle with them. We stand firm against their schemes. We fight them. We resist. And we keep on doing this. As Christians, this is an ongoing, lifelong battle. We fight. We must struggle against the urge to gossip against a co-worker or fellow student. We battle impure, lustful thoughts that so easily engulf us. We may fight the temptation to download stolen, pirated music or movies, um, even if we think no one will know. We are told to battle, and in that we seek personal holiness. When we fail, and we will fail, we repent, we trust in Christ's forgiveness, we get up and we continue to fight, 
knowing that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We battle on a personal level with sin, and then we battle on a corporate level, spreading the truth of Christ to a lost and dying world. The devil and his followers hate Jesus, and they are opposed to the new life offered in him. When we take the good news to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, and to the rest of the world, we are fighting the enemy. Yes, we are in a spiritual warfare, but it is a war with rulers and authorities under the command of the devil. We war and fight against cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil, and this is done as we fight against sin and seek to bring the gospel to the nations. We don't fight against people or rulers here on earth, but against demonic rulers who seek to devour us. In summarizing these two points, Dr. Russell Moore, a theologian and vice president at Southern Seminary, said, Demonizing opponents is easy. Opposing demons is hard. The first just takes a loud voice. The other takes Christ's shed blood and gospel power. This is hard. This is not to be taken lightly. This is truly spiritual warfare, and our enemy is strong. If we are God's people, we have been secured forever in Christ, then we have a, a target on our back. If We are united to Christ, and as such, his enemy is our enemy. Satan hates Christ and the gospel message he brings to the world, and as such, he hates you as well. As believers, we do not fear him, but we do seriously consider the enemy and the ruin he wishes to bring. We would do well to remember the third stanza of A Mighty Fortress, where Luther went on to remind us, One little word shall fell him. Yes, on earth is not his equal, but our Lord has already defeated him. As believers, we are called to stand firm, recognizing and resisting the devil's schemes. We are called to battle the devil's power as we seek to bring the gospel to the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for these truths that you've given us in your word. I thank you for Christ who has provided forgiveness and victory over our enemy. Lord, I pray that we would look to you today, earnestly seeking your power and help against Satan and his hosts, realizing that we are engaged in a spiritual war. And this is a war we cannot fight in our own strength. Lord, I pray that we would, as a church, seek to fight against these forces by proclaiming the good news of Christ to all those who seek to bring us down. I thank you for this time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.